Good morning, church. We're in a, a series. If you've been missing out, if you are a guest with us, welcome. We've been going through what's called Faith Works, a series through the epistle or the letter of James, the half-brother of Jesus. He was the pastor in Jerusalem, persecution against this new thing called the church and these new people called Christians. They're running for their lives. And Pastor James is so passionate about us being able to think no matter what season, no matter how hard, no matter how many trials come our way, no matter how dark it gets, there is a way to respond that brings glory to God, that brings great peace and joy to our hearts, and that actually influences others to do what is right, even if everybody else is doing what's wrong. And so 2,000 years later, we're here and we're going to open up James chapter 4, if you're there, Conflict Crossroads. So two weeks ago, everybody say that was a long time ago. Uh, I know. So two weeks ago, we had pathway number one, which was the hellish way, the bringing hell up into our conflict, into our relationships. That was path number one. Everybody say boo. Yeah, like we, we don't want to go down that path, but we have a choice to make whenever there is conflict. And it actually comes quite naturally. But today, today we're going to be looking at path number two, where we actually get to bring heaven down into our circumstances, into our trials, into our relationships. There is God's way and there's the world's way. There is the way of darkness, the path number one that, that brings hell up and all of hell's agenda into our relationships and conflict. Or, everybody say or, path number two, God wants to change the way that we think about our conflict, the way that we think about our relationships. God has a whole lot to say and He wants to speak right into our situations. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 12. We just covered 1 through 4, and that was quite a feat. We, we looked at any time that, that I choose for my will to be done, my way, my timing, my process, in that moment, I stand as an enemy of the kingdom of God. Last week, we looked at how in so many ways we oppose what God is doing that we don't escape, we don't fight to win, we don't just avoid it, but we enter in with a new mindset. If you're taking notes, write this down. Heavenly conflict. Heavenly conflict. James chapter 4, verse 5. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that Scripture says He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us? The reason that God is so passionate about the way that we treat each other, the way we respond to conflict, the way that we respond to trials is because at some point, if you're a Christian, you said, God, I'm yours. I'm living for you. I don't belong to me anymore. And do you think that when you said yes to God that he just responded with, well, then live however you want to. He said, no, if, if we're in this kind of covenant relationship, there is a jealousy. Did you know that jealousy can be good? Are, are you aware of that? Uh, if, if on that, that faithful day, I looked into the eyes of Sarah and said, till death do us part, I am committed to you. We are going to be together to the very end. And then the next day I said, um, Hey, honey, I'll see you in a week because I'm going to be going to Vegas, taking a, a trip and I uh, got some ladies lined up. Do you think she has a right to be jealous? Because real love is what? It's exclusive. It's exclusive. It means, you and you alone. And that's the way God sees you. He says, I love you. I'm committed to you. And the response is, you're committed to me. We're in a love relationship. And he doesn't share, right? He's not sleeping around spiritually. Are you? 
And he was passionate with these words that he said what? Do you remember what he said in verse 4? You can see it right there if you have your own Bible. You don't even have to take my word for it. Adultery is what he says, right? You adulterers, you are unfaithful. He uses a sexual term here of loyalty and commitment, exclusive love. And there's no way that God could love you completely and tolerate an unfaithful, selfish, wandering, shopping around heart. There's no way that God could love you wholly, completely, and faithfully and not require of you that your heart would be faithful to Him in return. He says every time you're in conflict, every time there's a struggle, every time the horizontal junk of life, all the problems. Y'all got problems? We all got problems. And in the midst of problems, God is saying, this isn't just a horizontal thing. Your battles and struggles, what, what does Paul tell us? You don't just you don't battle against flesh and blood. What does he tell us in Ephesians five? Is it, your your battle? It's actually spiritual. The things that you are facing on a daily basis. Well, if you knew my mother-in-law, oh, I get it. I got one, right? If if you only knew my coworker, if you only knew, if you only knew, I mean, like all our lives, my brother, my sister. I mean, God knows that, and God put them there, and God's God's at work. There is a spiritual unseen realm every time there is a seen horizontal battle going on in our relationships. The problem is we don't believe that. Like Satan's got his thing, God's got his thing, and then I just live in the world, right? And there's just a bunch of people. Oh, oh, oh no, that that is not reality. There's something going on behind the scenes. And James is like, God is jealous and he's passionate for you to be loyal and he's saying everything that happens in the scene there's something going on behind the scenes because you've been given the holy spirit conflict reveals how that faithfulness or lack thereof is played out do you love god you lo- would you say yes i love god i love god with with that kind of affirmation with that kind of commitment verbally god says through James, look around and every time that you are in a conflict and you are owning your part, in that moment you have a choice to make. There's two options on the shelf. Loving God or loving self. Which one are you going to choose? Who are you going to be faithful to? Who are you going to be loyal to? Are you fighting for your own righteousness? Your own commitment to being right? He's saying it's revealing where you're really at vertically. Verse 6, what does he say? I love this. He said, this is so dark. It's so problematic. Every time that you turn down path number one, going darker and deeper, but, but, everybody say, but, here it is, here it is, but he gives more grace. Do you believe that? No matter how hard the conflict, no matter how difficult, no matter how long it's been going on, no matter how frustrated you are, no matter who the person is, I love it. God doesn't just say, figure it out. He could. Instead, he says what? You need me. Because this is a spiritual battle. There's something going on that I have grace for. He could have said what? James could have said, there's good news. God gives grace. Does anybody have a translation that says God gives grace? What does your translation say? There's an adjective, right? What does yours say? He gives what kind of grace? A droplet? A dribble of grace? He gives more and more. Does it ever run out? There's more and more Well, do you know how big this problem is? Do you know how much more grace God has for that? Do you know that His much more grace is greater than any 
thing that you face. This is really good news. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's good news. It's good news. It's good news. Because God doesn't leave you try to figure it out on your own and try to fix the problem on your own and try to get that relationship right or just for some of us, we've been taking path number one for so long, we just say, well, that person's dead to me. They're just dead to me. They're just dead to me. I just want nothing to do with them. I just avoid them. I That's the hellish way. That's bringing hell up into your relationships. I don't care. I will neglect. I will avoid. When heaven comes down, do you know what it looks like? God, give me grace to actually press in and do what's right. Give me grace to say and respond and show your character, not how right I am and how defiant I can be, but God gives more grace. So I I don't know what you're walking through this morning, but this more grace, do you know what this more grace means? This more grace means you're never alone in any of your conflict, in any of your relationships. You're never alone. You're never alone. You're never alone. Because God is always there giving grace, more grace. Well, yeah, I know. He already gave me a bunch of grace in the past. You know what he has for your future? More, more, more. Every say more. More. There's more grace. There's more grace coming even in harder situations than you've ever faced before. There is. There is more. You're never alone. He is there. His grace is not just grace for past forgiveness. Don't you love that? If you're a follower of Jesus, you know your past has been covered. You have been cleansed. Everything that you have done in the past, you are forgiven. And for some of us, we are so fired up because we're looking forward to the finish line. And we know this. God gives grace for the moment you draw your last breath that you would be in the presence of the Lord, that you would be in glory forever. Do you believe God gives grace for that? But do you know what's you know what's greater? The in-between. I know that I've received grace for the past. I know there's going to be grace for the future. What I doubt, maybe I'm alone in this, What I doubt is, is there grace enough for this situation? For right now? For what I'm going through that doesn't seem like it's ever going to end? And it's never going to be right? And we're never going to be reconciled? And we used to, but now? And God says this, more. More is coming. More has been there. He is there, committed. For the nowness of the Gospel, the good news today and every day, there's grace. Not just past, not just future. Right now, grace, because my king fights for me. My king fights for me. Everybody say that. My king fights for me. He's fighting your battle. You're not alone. There's more grace. But hear this. How does one receive this kind of grace? Does, does he just, is he just tossing this grace out to anybody and everybody? He actually has a conditional clause here. What does James say? He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. It's grace. There's grace for the, for the humble. For the humble. Humility in the middle of a conflict allows me not just to see your sin, but to see mine. Do you believe that? Do you believe it's a gift from God that when you're in conflict, you're able to step back and go, okay, maybe it's 5% my fault. Okay, 10. All right. I'll take, I'll take 10% ownership. All right. I, I might have misspoke, but like 90 for sure. 90% right there on the other side. There's grace. Do you believe that, that that God is so gracious for you to even take ownership of, you know what? It was me. It was me. You know what? I overreacted. You know what? They said this, and my response was this. Well, but they did. Well, what did they really do? But it felt like that. Okay. Did you believe that feelings can be deceitful? Do you believe that in every situation, there's at least a little bit 
of me. Do you believe that's grace? That God's like, I want to help you not see clearly their stuff. I want to help you see you with clarity. That A lot of times we go, no, I want a God that's like, get him, get him, right? Sick him, sick him. But instead what? We get, we get a God that loves, we get a God that loves you too much to let you go throughout life just blame shifting and it's everybody else's fault. It's grace to have your eyes open, to have a heart of humility, a posture of humility saying, you know what? I was wrong. I was wrong. Have you, have you had a situation like that where you're like, I know it was so much them. But God's doing something in me saying, go talk to them. Go apologize. Go get it right. But humble yourself and just enter in and just take ownership. Don't take ownership of the whole thing. Take ownership of your your part and you're not responsible for them. You're responsible for you. You know how powerful that is? Do you know the number of people that have come to me and taken great ownership of, of their stuff and arguments? With me, both of them, all right, both of them that that actually came to apologize. You know how unbelievable it is when somebody humbles themselves and they they're not looking for an apology from you. You're going and you're just saying, "I'm gonna." I got low before the Lord, and He told me, "I just need to, I need to get right with you," because if we're not good, we're not good. In order for us to be good. I got to do some hard stuff and God's giving me more grace to do the hard stuff of entering into a relationship that is broken, that's been jaded, that that is so hard to even consider. And I don't know who that is. Maybe right now you're thinking of somebody very specific. But here we go. We have a list and he says, humility, pride wants to get loud. Pride wants to get louder and righter. And humility allows us to get quieter. Humility is the dial to dial it down. When they get loud, they get quiet. Humility allows us not to be right, not to win, but to be right with God and let God win. Verse 7, submit yourself. Anybody like that word? James is like, submit has never been a good word in any culture in any day. All right, But he says this, submit yourself therefore to God. Submit to God. Get under God's authority. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Verse 8, draw near to God. He will. I just love that, don't you? This is what will happen with Satan. This is what will happen with God. Guaranteed. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Wow. That got, that got dark fast. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Your joy to gloom. Verse 10. Humble yourself before the Lord. He will, He will exalt you. So think about this. Path number one is all about I will exalt me. I'm going to exalt me in this situation. I am going to be greater, higher, better, louder. And then when I'm done, well, I feel better. <clears throat> I, I don't care what They feel, but I'm feeling a lot better about the situation. Path number two, when I say no to bringing hell up into my relationships, I get to choose to bring heaven down. And guess what God delights to do? He's like, I want to bring it. 
I want to bring a lot of it. I want to bring more heaven into more circumstances. But it requires you to do some things and to rely on God's promises. He's promising things right here. But he's calling us to do things that are not natural. Not natural to me. I'm assuming they're not natural to you. Did you see that list? Does anybody just stumble across any of these just like accidentally? Never in human history has anybody just ever tripped over submission to God and the authority God has placed over. Like nobody, nobody accidentally goes here. Humility leads us there, however. Humility compels us. The closer that we get to Jesus and we see that Jesus was gentle, lowly, and we want to be like Him, the more that humility woos us in. It calls us to live so different. What, what are the ways? What are the ways? Well, do you have the first one? Submit to God. Submit to God. Verse 7, submit yourself therefore to God. Humility allows us to listen more, speak less. What can I learn? What do I need to hear? What is true here? What is helpful? It allows our words to be bridled. Anybody remember weeks ago? James used this, this picture of a bridle. Just like it's very, very small, but for a massive, powerful horse, just one little bridle in the mouth and it steers. I mean, think about think about this. Humility allows our words to be bridled. Even when it's so hard that by the Spirit of God, humility says, turn it down. Turn it, turn it down. Get, get low with your words. Instead, I, I need to be under control. I don't need to be free. I don't need to have the last word. Humility allows us to submit, not to every authority, but to to godly authority to start with, and then those that he has placed under. It's really hard because certain authority is not super awesome. Submit yourself to God means submit yourself as a way of life. Not to be a doormat, not to be walked all over. He's saying, with wisdom, if you're submitting yourself to God, God is going to bring joy in submission. I don't know how that's possible, but God makes all things possible, even a heart of submission. How about this? How about this? The number of times where where people see the needs for others to submit, for others to to obey, for others to kind of get on track, but they don't see it in themselves. I, I've been doing counseling for 17 years. It's not uncommon in marriage counseling for a husband to be very fired up about a wife that needs to submit. And a very vocal husband, we'll call him Josh. I didn't even change his name to protect the innocent because he's guilty. All right. So <clears throat> travel back with me. Josh is telling me a story of how like she just she refuses to have sex and she refuses to listen and she refuses to uh to be able to follow his desires for planning for the future and vacations and purchasing really sweet Harley Davidson motorcycles and like she's just really struggling with all of his demands and that she needs to learn to submit and the deeper you dive into some of these situations come to find out the way that I learned what was really going on is I got a call at two o'clock in the morning because I had to drag Josh out of the house and put him in a motel because he almost killed his wife choking her against the wall 
And I, I think everybody really wants others to submit. The difficulty is, how many of us, even if it gets so extreme and so bad, can even see it in the mirror? I'm the problem. I'm the one that is incapable of submitting myself to God, but how freely I demand that others submit to my wishes in my way. That's path number one. Bringing hell up. And God says there's hope. There's hope. When you submit yourself to to God, you look at submission differently. You treat people differently. You, You don't treat them as objects of your pleasure and your demands. You treat people humbly, gently, when you're under the authority of God. Are you? Are you? Are you walking in a way where God's the boss of my life? He's the king of my life. I'm, I'm not busy ranting and raving about how everybody else needs to change because I'm too busy getting low and quiet under God's authority, listening to his commands for my life. Humble, gentle, when we submit ourselves to God. How about this? Conflict is never about winning. It's about worshiping. So what glorifies God? In my response, that's a big question, right? How do I learn to submit in the argument, in the debate, in the struggle, which leads us to the second part of verse seven? God needs to be submitted to, but what else? Do you see it there in verse seven? Now he turns, he turns to Satan, right? He turns to the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. What, What do you think Satan is doing? I, I really don't believe in the whole like, you got a little like angel and demon on your shoulder. I'm like, I, I appreciate you know, Looney Tune adventures. Thank you for helping us with that. But in comic strips, but the reality is there, there are voices. There are voices speaking in saying, you need to get low while the other says, you need to stand up. And you have a choice to make, right? You have a choice to make. Are you going to get loud in pride and Satan is cheering you on? Or are you going to submit yourself to God and get quiet? before him. Relationships change depending on which voice we're listening to. There's a spiritual war, and it's real. So are you bringing hell up? Are you bringing heaven down into your relationships? Think about the blessing. Think about the blessing of, I want even the most harsh, the most uh, stiff-necked, stubborn person in my life, I, I want them to be blessed. I want to be used by God, submitting to Him, and watch God work through me to bring blessing to those that are around me. That's awesome. Everybody say that's awesome. That's awesome. That's different. That's different than than our old way. That's path number two. Because when we resist Satan, no, no Satan, not today. Not not today. Not happening. Not happening. My first year as a Christian, I didn't know any better uh, before I became so well-polished as a Christian. I didn't know that you couldn't go around your house just screaming at Satan. So that's what I did for my, my first year as a Christian. Because when you come out of drugs and jail and addictions, um, like the war is on and the whispers are shouts. And my first year, I would walk through my apartment and I would just be like, no, no, not today. Not doing it. Not making that phone call. I'm going to resist. I can't listen to you. That does sound really attractive. But no, no more parties. No more drugs. No more drinking. Not going to do it. You deserve, you deserve. What about they are? Look at them, compare, envy, jealousy. You're missing out, you're missing out. When you resist, what is your, what is your mode of operation? What, what is your war-like mentality? 
against Satan? Are you, are you going to war? Or are you buddies? Like, are, are, you, are you kind of frustrated roommates? But like, just stay on your side of, of the apartment. I'll stay on my side. Or are you going to war? Because if you're not resisting, what is Satan not doing? He's not fleeing. If you are not fighting him, he's fighting and conquering you. That's really bad news. What, what are a few of his, his tactics? Well, I'll just write these down just real quick. Defensiveness. He, he wants to draw you into the argument, into the conflict with, well, you just don't understand. You're not listening. Let me explain. No, that's not it. Defensive, defensive. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. It was them. It was, it, it was out of my control. Man, I, I know that this never comes up in any marriages. Good thing, but I hear there are. That I hear those, those things do happen. They do happen. But his tactics, how incredible if he can just get us to be on the defense all the time. How about stubbornness? I see it rightly. I see it rightly. Yeah, that may work for you, but it just doesn't work for me. It's just, that may be your thing. It's not my thing. It's not for me. You're just wired a little different. You're just in a little different season of life, but it's not for me. Uh, I know that's really easy for you, but because it's hard for me, I'm not doing it at all. Stubbornness. How about self-righteousness? I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't. That, that wasn't wrong. I think, I think what you observed was faulty and you're not remembering correctly. Uh, but actually I was fine. I was good because I was right. Uh, I, I don't know if you've heard this before, but a counselor so graciously speaking to me about about self-righteousness. And he said, John, you're wrong. If in the way that you're right, you're wrong, you're still wrong. No matter what you say, how you say it matters just as much because it's displaying the self-righteousness that you live in all the time that you can't be proven wrong. Nobody can show you up. So you're wrong even if you're even if you're right, you're still wrong. And this is God's new way of humility. How about the self-governed? I can't trust authority. I only trust myself. I trust my instincts. My heart would never lie to me. I have been trained. I have more experience. Submission is for the weak. I will be taken advantage of, hurt, or used. I'm not going to do it somebody else's way. How's that going on the throne of your life? Satan loves it. He loves it. He says, stay Stay right there. How about this? Suspicion. What are their motives? What what do they want from me? Are they really interested in my best? What what's really going on behind the scenes? I don't I don't know if we've ever lived in such a paranoia day, right? Of all day long we're wondering what is the government's motives? What is my teacher's motives? What is my boss's motive? What is my spouse's motive? What are my kids' motives? I can't even trust anybody at church. Just go ahead and look around. What are the motives of the people even sitting in the same row as me? What do they want from me? What are they after? And we thrive on this. Satan lures us to come out from under God's authority. And that's a problem. It's a problem. How about this? Humility compels us to draw near to God. Is that what you have next? Is that what you got? Verse 8. Draw near to God. If any of us struggle with memorizing Scripture, Look no further, right? Because this week could be your week. Draw near to God. Got it! Memorized. Just behind, Jesus wept. Okay? You got that verse already memorized? 
All right? All right? So proud, so proud. Draw near to God. Think about an ancient military campaign. Think Things were a little different in wartime, right? Back then. So did, did you know that they had they had dudes with drums sometimes? They got guys with trumpets. They they also they had guys with banners. Anybody remember watching any kind of like old, old uh, I don't know, whatever your favorite movie is, back in the day, you, you got somebody charging out on the battlefield and one side, they got red flag, other side, blue flag, they got whatever their, their stuff on their flags. Well, you think about how overwhelming to the senses war was when it's all smoke, it's all chaos, and you're going, who, who's on my side? Like, who's the enemy? Who are the good guys? I don't even know who my allies are. And then you can look around and go, the banner lifted up is saying, we're headed this way. The enemy is there and we're charging forward. We're not retreating. And it kind of realigns your, uh, your, your discombobulated melon that probably got cracked a few times with a sword or something. And you're going, okay, I need to draw near to that flag knowing we're headed in that direction because the king has an agenda and it's to defeat the enemy. And I need to go that way. I need to know what side I'm on, who I'm fighting for, and what direction, and how do I know that? Draw near to God. Draw near to God. I just, I, I love this. When you're in temptation, when there's conflict, you are led by emotions, passions, led by selfishness, vengeance, being right. All that describes what? Hell, hell up. I'm bringing hell up into my conflict. God says this, come close, draw near, head this way. And what else? He says, if you've gotten this far, he says, get cleaned up, get cleaned up. Verse eight, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning your joy to gloom. There's, there's a lot there, right? I mean, this is pretty dark stuff. If you're thinking, I thought I was supposed to be happy. Like, isn't God's plan to like make me happy and make all my wishes come true, right? Well, the reality is when we're doing things that, that God hates, right? When we have a pattern in our lives of relationships that are so destructive, he's saying, you need to step back and feel the weight of the destruction and the hurt. For some of us, I don't, I don't know if, if that's you to be able to step back and be like, I've hurt a lot of people with me. I've hurt people in my own home. I've hurt people in my family, at my workplace. I have said things. I can't take the words back. I can't take the, the anger and the arguments. I can't take them back. So what does God say? He uses imagery to say, go to the bathroom, scrub all of that off, because your days of throwing mud all day long at other people, scrub scrub it off. Okay, Do your part. God do you believe that God has forgiven all of that? Whatever, whatever your past is? Yes, he has. And he says, and your part is? Clean up from that. Get rid of that behavior. Get rid of the attitude. It's got to go. God's doing his part. He's saying, partner with me. Join with me. We don't attack anymore. We get cleaned up and we weep over the things that we have done. I was probably only a few years old in the Lord when all of a sudden I went through a season of years. That's how long it took. Years. Where for the first time in my life, I was sitting under faithful, what we call expository preaching, right? Expository preaching is fancy word of just going verse by verse, and we're just unpacking what's there. And I had not experienced that my first year as a Christian, 
and all of a sudden I'm under the authority of God's word. I'm under powerful preaching. And guess what I did every single time I heard God's word? I just wept. Get it together! Get it together, right? Ugh, allergies, man! It's like, what is going on? And I'm just weeping and weeping. And I don't even remember what book it was through, but God had a word for me. And every single time I listened to it, I'm like, I can see clearly for the first time. I have destroyed people's lives. I have hurt my family so deeply. I, I didn't see it. I knew I was saved. I knew I was fired up. Now God wanted to do the work of start cleaning. You've got to clean house. It's time to go have the conversations. And it's time to stop. It needs to stop. You can't keep moving forward this way. You bring more death, but you say that you now have life. You say you want to bring heaven down, but you're, you're still have all this baggage of bringing hell up. It's got to change. And it was unbelievable. I, I think I still have emails sending like to different states, different family members, just like novels of listing, I know I did this and I know that it hurt and I knew I never took ownership of it and God is convicting me and I can't believe I did that and I'm so done with that. I'm done. I repent. And it wasn't just I repent before the Lord. I needed to repent before people. I needed to confess my sins to those that I've hurt and get specific. And I'm not looking for anything in return. I wasn't looking for, well, and they better own their 5% too. I was like, I don't care if they just cuss me out and say, why are you such a weird Jesus freak religious snob? Like, like I got to do the right thing. I got to go and I got to get this right. And I got to change my ways, the way that I speak to people, the way that I see people, how I have hurt means I'm probably prone to do that again. He says, you sinners, you sinners. How, how can he say that to the church? That's a little offensive. Are you offended? I'm offended. Saint may be my identity, but sinner occasionally is my activity. Do you believe that? Is that your experience? I know saint is my identity. Saint means holy one. It means one that has been purified, that, it, that is right with God. Saint. I am holy. I know that but my behavior betrays that identity. Do you, you feel that sometimes? I know I'm right with God. I know I'm forgiven, so why do I keep doing it? I know that God calls me now to love because He loves me perfectly, so why am I so unkind and unloving and harsh with those that, I, that I'm supposed to love? Why do I take from them when I'm supposed to be giving? And He says, it's time to clean up. It's time. Start by washing your own hands, looking at your own life, and then watch God work through you. I know for some of us, we have, we have work to do, right? Feel the full weight of your side and leave the rest to God. Vengeance is the Lord's. He will repay. Verse 9, do you see this? Be wretched and mourn. Weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Joy to gloom. I just want to say this. Visit there, but don't live there. I think God leads us to visit, do business there, and then move on. For some of us, we are all too comfortable with just self-pity and all that could have been and all the ways that we blew it and messed up. And the reality is, self-pity is pride. It's still thinking about who. I'm still consumed with, with me and how I look and that we would move on. Move on. Just like you're going to tell me right now. Everybody say move on. Here we go. Here we go. Humility compels what? It compels me to, to be patient. Verse 10. Humble yourself before the Lord. Humble yourself before the Lord. He will exalt you. 
One translation says, he will exalt you when it is time. When it's time. Do you believe there's a time? Do you believe there's a time to get low and, and a time to have regrets and confess and look back? And there's a time where God's going to pull me out of that. He's going to move me forward. I'm not going to stay there. I love this, but be patient. Be patient. Turn to your neighbor and say, be patient. Be patient. Be patient. Humility says, be patient. In the right time, when it's the right time, First Peter 5, 6, if you want to jot this down, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God at the proper time. When it's the right time, he will exalt you. Peter, James, others agree with this. When it's time, when it's time. So do you believe that God is working all around you according to his time and that by being patient, it's frustrating, it's hard. But for you to be able to step back and know what your role is, what you are to do. You believe that changes everything? I don't know if you've ever, so some of us are fix-it. Are you, are you a fix-it? I don't know if in your mind you're like, well, why doesn't anybody ask me? They should just be asking me for help and how to fix because like I could just like fix their life. Their, their life is clearly a mess. I can fix it. And God says, why don't you start at your house? <clears throat> uh, but, but for those of us that want to fix it and want to help, the reality is their timing is everything. Timing is everything. God, am I supposed to just like get over this and move on? Am I supposed to just let them, I'm waiting for them to come to me? I do my part and then I wait. I do my part of obedience and I, I wait. I wait. Patience. Patience. God says, when it's safe, I'll pick you up. I'll move you on. So stop trying to fix it. I got this. I got this. And then here we are in verse 11. Who are you to judge? Who are you to judge? Stop judging. Turn to your neighbor and say, stop judging. Let them know. Stop. Stop. I don't know if you're trying to quit drinking, smoking, if you're trying to quit overindulging in Cheetos, if you are trying to quit whatever habits, chewing your nails, whatever else. You know what? This one is more important, right? Bad, bad habit. I don't know what your New Year's resolution was, but like we're halfway. I don't know. If you didn't get it by now, you're done, all right? But today, today could be a new start for you. I'm not gonna, I'm not judging anymore. I'm not gonna sit back and I'm not gonna be obsessed with what everybody else is doing or not doing. God's working on me. He's working on me. Everybody say he's working on me. He's working on me. He's, he's doing a work in me. That's what I have control over. I don't have control over anybody else, what, what God's doing anywhere else. But as I get under his authority and I patiently wait, I think about judgment differently. So hear this. Verse 12. Who are you to judge? Do not speak evil against one another. What what if what I'm saying is true though? Do not speak evil against each other, even if in the conflict it's true. Because it's probably negative, which is evil. It's probably critical, which is evil. It's probably hurtful, it's evil. It says do not speak evil against who? One another, the family, brothers, sisters, Christians. It's not about being right. It's about being humble. It's about the grace that's coming your way. Verse 12, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother or sister, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if the judge, but if you judge the law, you are you're not a doer of the law, but you're a judge. And there's only how many ultimate lawgivers in the universe are there? I should have studied for this part. There's what? Right, one. Okay. <clears throat> good, good, good. I'm glad we're on the same page. And it's not who. Point to yourself. There's no vacancy in the Trinity. They're already taken all three. They're good. Not you. Anybody guilty of, I'm the judge, I'm the jury, I'm going to render a verdict, my hands up. 
in my mind the ways that I can walk through the whole process of making a case, fighting for the case, right? No defense necessary. I'm right. And he says, you're above the law at this point. He says, he who is able to save and to destroy. that That's who is in the position <clears throat> of judge. That's who's in the position. So picture picture with me, courtroom, okay? Everybody say, land the plane. Here we go. We're in a courtroom, and think about you just going through your life as usual, and whether it's an actual conversation in a relationship, in a in a conflict, or you're running through your mind, whatever whatever that situation is, and just imagine Jesus walking in through the doors. Why are you in my seat? Why why are you on that big throne up front? It's it's mine. And maybe if there's some level of humility, then we could picture. I think I will go sit. I'll sit down. And the only problem is when we're in the when we're in the seat, waiting. Waiting, waiting for God to do what He's supposed to do. I could have done it much more efficiently. While we're waiting for God to do what only God can do as judge, as the authority, as the lawgiver, maybe through your mind, racist thoughts of, well, if I don't do anything about it, who's gonna who's gonna do it, right? If I don't speak up, who's gonna who's gonna speak, right? If they don't know how much they've hurt me, then like I can't just sit here and hurt. They need to know. They need to feel the pain that they've caused me. I need to pay some back. Vengeance is, is mine. And you're like, no, 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 no. Vengeance is his. He's, he's up there. I'm down here. And I wonder, just, just go with me. If you were to just raise your hand in the courtroom and say, but Jesus, who's going to pay for the things that they did to me, to my family? Jesus says, I will. Yeah, but, but I, I want, Justice to be served. Who's going to do that? Hear Jesus say, I do it perfectly. Yeah, but they're going to get away with it. And hear Jesus say, nobody's getting away with anything. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to look across the courtroom and he's going to see, he's going to see a whole side of the room that consistently has chosen the pathway to bring hell up that are still screaming and fighting about their way and getting even and getting right and it's not fair. And he's going to look at the other side of the room and he's going to see a whole slew of Christians that have chosen to do the right thing and to turn the other cheek and to forgive and to humble themselves. And in that room, both sides are going to have some things to say. And maybe we're tempted to point to each other. Well, they're, they're at fault and they're the ones. And hear this. Hear Jesus say, the problem is you don't have one side and the other. You don't have just Christian and non-Christian that have failed in these areas of conflict. The whole room is guilty. Every single one, saved and unsaved, guilty in so many relational conflicts, in so many arrogant and proud moments, we're all guilty. And hear Jesus say, and today, I choose to forgive. I will bring justice. I will execute vengeance. It's mine. Turn to me.